0: Hi gang. Welcome to another Squiggly Film Club. I'm Ben Mitchell with Laura Beth Cowley. Hello. Hello. And Steve Henderson. Hello. 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 Episode what, 18? eighteen? I think this week's episode, the film that won out was Paranorman against Frank and It kicked its ass. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a good to sort of the I'm not sure if either of us actually have a copy of Frank and Weenie. Yeah, we do. I do. Oh well there you go. Uh, at any rate, I think this was uh, a sort of clear popular choice. Hmm. Uh, probably one of the defining films of uh, Leica's oeuvre, I would say. I think for a lot of people, it's the, uh, the best one they've done so far. Let's find out why as we press play. So, in three, three two, two, and one, one play. play. Feature presentation.
1: It has a very good intro that really sets the tone of the whole film. Yeah. And it gets going pretty quickly as well. There's not like 101 different companies that finance this film.
2: Well, it's effectively an indie film, isn't
0: it? (laughs) Technically, on paper.
1: Is it? How? I thought indie would have a budgetary cut-off point.
0: Well, you would think that. Um, What
1: classifies, as the guy that wrote the book on it, what classifies it as a...
0: Well, if you've read the first chapter of my book, uh, all bets are off. Yeah. Um, the The actual definition of independent animation is it spans a pretty wide gamut, and um,
1: I wouldn't say this was remotely.
0: I think that I would agree with you.
1: I think if you, even if it's not made in the Hollywood machine, if you have a budget that would match a Hollywood budget, then it ain't an independent film.
0: Well, certainly, if, if a lot of the uh, the funds come from uh, another giant corporate behemoth, yeah. <laughs> then yeah, I think we can maybe say independent is a very very loose term.
1: Like I wouldn't even say that if you won, if you were just some random person who won the lottery and decided to use that money to make a feature film, that still wouldn't be independent if it reaches a certain budget requirement.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you think of like the whole Chuck Steele thing I and mean, how that was very much independently funded, but it's not an independent film budget.
1: I guess though the independent thing comes down more to like the ethos, doesn't it? Where it, what yeah, the budget I, just I comes down said. to high and low budget.
2: Well, I would have said independence was. Uh, a big part. It, it was about wasn't about the finance. It was about the vision. A large part of it.
1: But it doesn't really. I mean, it. It's a, don't get me wrong. This is my favorite, like a film by a country mile, and also With just you. one of my favorite films generally. And it has a beautiful visual, but I wouldn't say it has a particularly independent visual either. Like because stop motion isn't generally mass marketable anyway. It's very rare that you'll get like more than one stop motion feature that looks anything like another stop motion feature anyway.
3: So yeah, but the podi- idea. Podi-
2: Sorry, I'll let you finish your thought.
1: So the idea that <laughs> so the idea that you would have an independent stop motion film of this quality or finish hmm. seems kind of wrong or the opposite.
2: I I I agree to an extent there absolutely, uh, but. I would say that this is something unique When you're looking at this particular film as well This was where the, There was nothing like this in cinemas at the time In terms of animation In the same year It was uh, it was Academy Award nominated uh, In 2012 uh, It was up against Frankie Mooney It was up against the Pirates And it was up against Wreck-It Ralph and Brave as well And you've got what I thought was rather a strong year uh, And the weakest film won Brave won um, I I would have loved to have seen any of those films win. But when you look at Frank and Weenie, Tim Burton had done that type of thing before. Uh, you look at the Pirates. Yep, the Pirates could exist in the same world as Wallace and Gromit. Uh, you look at Wreck-It Ralph. It looked like any other CG film at the time. Yes, it played around with 8-bit and all that sort of stuff, and it was grand, but it sits quite nicely with every other bit of merchandise in the Disney store. Whereas, What Paranorman had is it had something, it was trying something unique. It was trying something that really hadn't quite been done before. I love the asymmetry of it. I love the look of it. When I first saw the trailer, I actually thought it was a CG film. The finish was that superb. Granted, I saw it on my phone, so I couldn't see that it was stop motion, but and then when i found out it was it was stop motion i was all in i thought this is incredible what what craftsmanship what a what an amazing film so i do think that it does have an independence in that in that respect i don't think there's many executives i don't think there's people from nike going yeah it's good but it, shouldn't all the characters be wearing nikes you know there's no one sort of there's no one put with a purse string saying you need to change this you need to change that
0: No, it wasn't a a Nike investment in that sense. It was more like the the bankroll came from having that connection. Um, So, yeah, they're they're not beholden to corporate sponsorship as such. Um, So that's lucky. Very circumstantial. Um, But, you know, when it comes to those sort of circumstantial connections people have, uh, if they're going to channel that toward a genuinely good film... Then more power to them, you know. Like of yeah. all the ways to apply that money, I think that's you know that's that's the impulse that I approve of, because I like films, you know. But there's people who, I mean, plenty of you know, um, glorified sort of vanity projects have been made by people with more money than sense, and they have you know they've gathered huge amounts of funds to make these films that no one knows about. You know, they go to straight to DVD or, you know, if they get any distribution at all, um, and they're garbage fires because people don't know what they're doing. What you have with Leica's films is, and this is generally speaking the con- the consensus among everyone who works on them, you do have Travis kind of in the center of the whirlwind, in love with animation. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't think that's insincere at all. Like, the way he talks about animation, it doesn't seem like a kind of... Um, uh, you know, rehearsed a script when he talks be about it.
1: Absolutely no reason for him or anyone else involved with Laika to do this for anything other than love, because it sure as fuck isn't money. Yeah. Well, that's kind <laughs> of. I'm
0: sure that maybe they would love to have made more money than they have, um, or have more of a kind of overall return. The fact of the matter is, the returns haven't decimated them. They've been able to carry on. Um, objectively there there are criticisms of their returns from an outsider's perspective against the world of other hollywood blockbusters but it does appear to be a pretty self-sustaining model um that they've worked out you know at least you know for the time being but so
1: whenever you talk to anyone from the Leica camp um the one thing that sort of stands out more than anything is that they're doing it because they want it to look as good as they possibly can and they're really pushing the visuals of things and they really come from that from a craftsperson person and uh, from a perspective of someone that really wants it to look as as it does in the mind of the director and everyone else involved it, at no point do they really bring up it as a, any kind of sh- like company in terms of like needing to make a profit or make money from any kind of investment like obviously they have overheads and they need to you know not bankrupt themselves um, and actually although the audience is obviously in their mind because they are storytellers even the audience doesn't come up like within the first gaps like it does for most people like whenever you talk to animators generally especially in feature films they'll talk about the story and they'll talk about why it was important and what they felt it was that the audience would get from it, and why they felt the story was worth telling and and they almost downplay the animation side of things quite often, and Leica really doesn't do that it's mm. it's animation and art first story as well, audience second <laughs>
2: almost <laughs> take With, that audience
3: <laughs> like
0: which has actually you're <laughs> been in service, I think to the the overall quality of the films they haven't been shackled by. You know, this sort of a lot of films get completely ruined by market research and testing and things like that. Yeah. yeah. And they haven't really, you know, I think maybe that hasn't always worked out a hundred percent. Like the general attitude toward box trolls as a story and the kind of overall approach with the style hasn't been as warmly received as the other films, for example. But then a film like this, or a film like Kubo, which I was also, you know, hugely impressed by, um, it's very uncompromising. Like, there's a lot of stuff that I'm sure kids would get a kick out of. But then there are scenes in it that, you know, are spooky and really kind of, they're not super easy to watch. I think Um, what
1: I mean by, like, the audience thing is I'm not saying, like, they don't bear in mind the audience at all. I just mean that they're not beholden to the audience. They're not, they don't, Dumb things down, or make them softer, or make them more yeah, they're not focus groups. They've
2: not been. They're, yeah. they're not worried about to kids
1: death. getting upset. That if anything, that probably sparks a bit of joy in it, them, as it would me if I was making a horror-based children's mm. film. Like I'd want kids to be a little bit afraid. Otherwise, I've not really done my job.
0: No, that seemed to be what I understood of your meaning. Like that, yeah. But is it an independent film? That's the question. <laughs> <laughs> that's the the most important. thing. I mean, the the thing is like the term independent film, when it comes to features, gets bandied around a lot more as mm. well. So you I'm sure they
1: consider any animation film that's not made by Disney or Pixar an independent film.
0: Yeah. Just by virtue of it not being.
1: <laughs> yeah, like if it's not Disney or Pixar, then it's an independent film, in one sense.
0: Hmm. I mean, there are probably still people who consider the sort of relative quaintness of Adman films.
1: Oh, Adman's not considered like, uh, like a blockbuster thing really at all.
0: I think, yeah, especially th- in America. And people wouldn't necessarily. Um, well, talking to people in North America, where Adman is more of a kind of import, that is definitely the the vibe I get off of them. It's like, oh, it's this very kind of you know cute sort of homegrown. It's a
1: bit like being. Into a band from another country, like oh, have you heard of Flørdedør from Norway? I really love them, <laughs> and it's sort of <laughs> you get that feeling about Aardman. Um...
0: They're the Flørdedør. The The, of the animation <laughs> features soon. <laughs> I'm
1: trying to think of a Nordic band.
0: No, I think you know, <laughs> I mean Flørdedør are okay. I didn't care for their first two <laughs> records, but they came into their own. They're like record
1: the who I think are Swedish, but. <laughs> Um like this is really I lo- this scene is really the fact that the bully put the noose around his neck that's all that's kind of a bit much but it's also very in keeping with what a bully would do. Yeah. Like you know when there's that kind of like I mean a, a lot of this film is about being an outcast which is kind of odd when you think it was up in the same year against and we put it up against Frank and Weenie and Frank and Tim Burton is like the king of the weirdo, and the outcast. Hmm. And then they made a film about weirdos and outcasts, and you know they're very inspired by a
3: spooky
2: film about a weirdo and an outcast.
1: And they're very inspired by that kind of. And Tim Burton for a long time was really the stop motion section of American f- feature films. In you know, outside of Vinton and Harryhausen.
0: Ma- yeah, mainly sort of carried by the one film for yeah. in a lot of respects, but yeah, I, I think that's kind of, yeah.
1: It, well, him and Sella, you know, but for a long time, as you know, especially in my childhood, like I was born in 1990. So I kind of missed all of the eighties stuff. And that's when stop motion started to sort of lull a bit.
3: Yeah.
1: And then nineties, early noughties, it was like, it's the death of a stop motion. And it's not, you know unlike everything else it's not like a tide it's not going to come back and then it did which is why i assume people that have been in the industry for a lot longer whenever they're like oh it's gonna die out i've just been like yeah all right then
2: (laughs) why am i still employed yeah
1: (laughs) like everything's gonna die out every five minutes so just hold on long enough or maybe learn a new skill set to tide you over and then come back later
2: it's such, a, but I it's don't. such a, a ridiculous thing to say, and it's always something that's said. Uh, you, people might not uh, be surprised. There's never been a, um, you know, why why is 2D animation dead? Article mm. on on squiggly because 2D animation isn't dead. Why is stop motion dead? Because it's not dead. Don't be ridiculous. It, it, it's it's an art form like any other art form i should search before saying that um it's, <laughs> it's an it's art just, form like any other art it, form it's it, it, it just ebbs and flows. yeah well it's, it's still there. Dead. it's has in the yeah. key
1: for a bit It'll i think a up.
2: yeah well i mean how many stop motion film feature films have been made at present loads you know there's one there's there's you know there's bound to be one being made uh at Leica. we know that uh there's a a, a version of of Pinocchio knocking about somewhere, like, you know. Aren't there there's... like
1: three feature films being made in Portland, Oregon alone in stop? Yes,
2: yeah. <laughs> and yeah. then we're
1: doing one. I think there's us. one in Mexico. Yeah, us. We, when,
2: we're doing Jumanji 2, Remember? Wow, I, I I wasn't part of that, but you know, I'll take I'll take a take a job on it. Great, just us three uh, making it.
0: I see what you did there.
1: I didn't care. See, what I did.
0: <laughs> 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 Only literal responses from now on, people. Let's keep it. Uh, let's not confuse the audience. I really like
1: the the fat ginger kid's hair. I find it very mm. satisfying.
2: What's that made of? Know. I
1: think like straw. I have I have the art of book. Oh have a look. There's a whole Aha. section on just his hair.
2: I've the Art of Book 2. It's the first time we've we've ah. both had the same Art of Books. Ooh, let's sync up our page turns. Okay,
1: so I know we both have disagreements about like what the best ever art of book has ever been, but you have to admit as ones are pretty fucking good.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah yeah. Like
1: they're really good. The only one of theirs that isn't that amazing is Coraline, weirdly. And you'd thought hmm. that one would have been, like, the best. But the one thing that really irks me with that book is there's quite a lot of pictures in it that are pixelated. And that, to me, is, like, a cardinal sin of art of books. Like, if you can't even get the resolution right, fuck yeah. off.
0: A, a mismatched DPI, and you can oh, go fuck you yourself. You
1: really can. It really annoys me. There's a great, um, if you have the book on in front of you, Steve, look at. Page sixty four. There's like a mold that shows the brain that the girl stands on in the beginning shot, and it just looks like it would be a really satisfying stress ball to own.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. Sorry, delayed shot, delayed uh, reaction there. But yeah, I was reading thing- about that. I was reading about that beginning shot as well because it's it's hilarious. We're going through the whole kind of right at the very beginning of the film. They're making this kind of. Uh, Old-fashioned pastiche of 1970s zombies film, zombie films. Apparently, that was the most difficult thing for them to make because the cameras were at an angle, and it's very difficult to make a bad-looking film when you've got such a skilled team.
0: Yeah, we're sort of capturing that absence of discipline.
1: It's that kind of yeah. weird backstep of having, like, okay, you've made it perfect. Can you just scratch it up a bit? Mm, no. Yeah, <laughs> which is quite common nowadays I think in stop motion things that you've made things because we now have got to a point where it's not just like there are a few people that know how to do lots and lots of things there are lots of people that now know how to do the things and can do things perfectly because mm. it's it, you know and it will always be held like if you are a, a stop motion person or a sculptor or something if you can do photorealism you, you're there you're the artist um, but actually, you kind of have to backstep that because no one generally wants photorealism. But you, you know, if you can do that, it shows that you can really do anything. Yeah. Um, his hair was made out of like straw and needle felt, and then coiled. Mm. But like, and you can sort of see there was lots of different densities, and it, that straw really adds something because there's a very organic nature to everything in this film. All the way through it. So there's often like natural fibers and stuff, which is often quite, I find quite tricky in stop motion. If they've got like a mix of materials, it's a really hard balance to yeah, put fabric uh- and hair up against stuff that's made out of like silicon, latex, and plastic because it can look really jarring. And that's something that I find sometimes in um, the Shaun the Sheep movies, especially the first one. I find the use of fur and hair on humans because they have these kind of very plasticky, plasticine looking faces a bit unpleasant, personally but which which they don't do with the other of the films because obviously with Wallace and Gromit they have like, they have full clay, everything hair and face and then in uh, Pirates it's all you know, proper like puppets made of like plastics and stuff and everything's solid, nothing is made of hair
3: Hmm.
1: And then they did the same in early man where you'd have like proper fur loincloths and then plasticine. And I find that sometimes a bit, that mixing of fibrous with plasticine looking stuff, slightly unpleasant yeah it just to me it seems a bit jarring in a way they don't it doesn't in this because they have hair and stuff but they really put a lot of effort into making it so the hair is completely solid even though you can tell it's fibrous they run wire and glue and plastic through it so everything is animatable and so even though there is this kind of fibrousness it doesn't it feels correct in the way that like we as humans don't look weird because our, you know, our hair isn't made out of the same stuff our skin is.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm.
1: But that's just so, a
2: personal thing. Uh, no, no, I get you. I mm. I, I, um, I, 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 I did the same thing because we've all kind of played around with plasticine. We all know what it's like. And as soon as you get a hair on it, I mean, you think, oh my God, this ruined your day. Unbelievable. <laughs> um, so imagine animating it uh, just, yeah, when I saw Early Man and saw that he had this sort of, um, you know, what do they call the What, what cavemen wear, this sort of um, loincloth, loin cloth and then thinking, oh my God, is that plasticine? That's ridiculous. But um, like with this yeah. film,
1: like you were saying, it's the asymmetri- asymmetrics of everything and having to mm. go through, so even things like the graphics and stuff and having to then, like, just put everything on a bit of a wonk.
3: Yeah, a bit and, of a and
1: wonk that like. that must be so hard because if you have to make things that look like they're functioning like a pizza box, but it also has to be asymmetric, that's so much harder than making a square pizza box.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: I love that. I'd like to. I'd like to imagine this. Said, yeah, put a bit of a wonk on it. Just it, like, I <laughs> that's that's exactly the sort of language I'd use. I love it. Um, I've got a bit of a hair fact. Um, Yeah, there are apparently 275 spikes on Norman's signature hairstyle. And yeah, his hair was made out of goat's hair, held together with hot glue, hair gel, fabric and super glue, uh, as well as medical adhesive, makeup adhesive, thread and wire. Once built, it was hand finished with paint and human hair dye. Well, it looks fabulous. I know, it looks so natural.
1: Don't you find, like, vehicles and stuff, especially in stop motion, that just look like proper cars, like, mental? Like, when you're watching the film, you don't think about it, but then when you sit back and watch it, like we are now, without the sound on, you're like, Jesus Christ, that looks like a proper car.
2: You know what it is? It's animating the suspension properly.
1: Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But just, like, the logistics of it, like, if you ever got to see this physical car in real life, like, it'd be bloody huge, even for a model car,
3: because
1: <laughs> these puppets are not tiny. And I think that's one of the things that, like, layman people, people that don't work in the industry don't realise, is that I think you tend to think that all the puppets are really, really small, because yeah. you just assume they are, but then when you see them, you're like, oh, actually, they are quite big, like, they're about the size of your forearm. Or just, you know, a bit... I forget what the scale is, like, one-third? One-one? They're pretty chunky. Yeah, it's just... The other thing that they sort of say about this film quite a lot is just the amount of extras there are. Like, the number of puppets that are just there for, like, background. Yeah. But they all... There's so many... And they're they're not cheap-looking. Like, they're as well-designed and interesting as all the hero characters
0: well they've all got their own face business as well don't they yeah yeah
1: just not as many because they're not on for as long but the other thing i the only thing criticism i ever had of this film was that i felt like there were too many hero characters and it's because they're kind of tapping into that slasher trope of having like them all be picked off and stuff and having Mm. that like you know we got the jock we got the you know the bimbo we got the, the smart one we got the dumb one and we got the the main guy and his like best friend or his normally his girlfriend if it's slasher um but the because they don't get picked off because it's a kids filmed i just find that there's just there's too many of them and mm-hmm. because they all have it's almost one of those things they're like a glut there's so many great characters and i always found Paranorman like norman himself <laughs> kind of a bit um dull in comparison <laughs> because the others all have such great characters and have so much more to them, especially um I've forgotten his name, the ginger kid. Neil. Neil. Um I, like Neil is amazing and Neil has like almost all of the best lines in the film. And Norman mm. is just this kind of wet blanket. Like constantly just trying to avoid his fate.
2: More of a straight man. Yeah. yeah. He's the um, audience.
1: The audience he's is take, very dull.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, you have to have, like, a kind of, like like Ben said, a straight man who kind of guides you through the film, and obviously Norman's special because it's his powers that we're seeing, an amazing example of here that kind of sets the, the, the story in motion he's and brings it all together. He's a boy,
1: isn't he, really? That's, yeah, he's a sensitive a lad. He's a sensitive lad. But
2: he's but yeah, very this, meek.
1: And, like, even all the other ones, like, even Neil, who's, like, bullied equally as much as as he is, is just more confident in himself. He's like, yeah, I'm a fat kid but what of it? I get to eat all the cake. I don't care.
2: Yeah, like, For a guy a scene- who can see ghosts, you'd think he'd be a little bit more robust.
1: Yeah, but then I guess that's, you know, if you think of like The Sixth Sense and any kids that, like any kind of films that they would have seen before seeing this film, the kids that can see ghosts are often very uh, sensitive and meek, and it's because there's sort of this belief that if you are gifted in this way, in the which that you have a kind of spiritual connection, it's because you're like a hypersensitive. Hmm. Um. So that would mean that that wouldn't that wouldn't stop at ghosts. That would mean living people as well, and you'd be able to fully. You'd feel a lot. An em- empath. You'd be an empath. Be an
3: empath. Yeah. Okay.
1: Which I guess is what they're going with with norman i just think he i think because he is so soft he kind of just gets a bit washed away by the fact that there are so many other characters that have such yeah. big big characters but i guess that is just you know part of that in reality as well
2: well his moment's the beginning of the film isn't it that's that's the well,
1: know, the that first the third of the film is him yeah when he's with the girl but yes who was the best character
0: well, yeah. I'm quite fond of this character who uh, I don't think we're seeing much of for the rest of the film. No, the uncle. Oh. Um. I think we have a bit of business with this corpse coming up, which uh, I remember mildly tickled the audience I saw this with for the first time. Um. But no, it's a great ensemble piece, actually. A lot, all the characters have something about them that's very sort of appealing. Yeah. Um. I like the the idea of the sort of bully and the kind of comradeship that builds. Because that's sort of, I think, a little bit reflective of the secondary school experience. Like, there are sort of antagonist (laughs) roles that are filled uh, by people at school when you're kind of a certain age. And by the time you're ready to leave, everyone's just getting on with it. And the sort of allegiances are formed. Maybe this is just the guys. (laughs) But like the people that used to drive you nuts when you were thirteen, oh, no, you're pretty girls chummy I hated with.
1: When I was thirteen, I hate now.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> like that doesn't change.
0: Well, I can't imagine it was that I was affable. <laughs> I think
1: mean, you were. I think mean, you somehow straddled the line. You had a very different school experience to me.
0: It was an odd school, I think. To be fair, it was pretty um, uh, pretty me- I think we just had this united front against the. Ah, her stupidity of the faculty. <laughs> and I think that sometimes the faculty played that up a little bit. Like, that was a real kind of rah-rah. Rah. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a Lindsay Anderson film called F that was shot at my school, and it's set in the six. it's filmed and set in the 60s, and the teaching staff and the prefects and everyone, they're just these caricatures of you know, the sort of British middle-class education system. And it was exactly the same in the late 90s and early noughties. But they were almost playing characters. It was like being in a pantomime for five years. Um, Hmm. So you couldn't really take anything to heart too much. Anyway, I think the dynamic of the bully in the film, like how, you know, they start off really at loggerheads. um, And then, you know, through the, uh, the uniting factor of going against a bunch of fucking ghosts, um, yeah,
1: we didn't really have that in my school. We had complete apathy for our teachers, and we bullied them.
0: <laughs>
1: like, <our laughs> there teachers were a couple had, of like, teachers we,
0: we, we put through the ringer.
1: I don't think our teachers really... Like, not me personally, but I don't think our teachers had any control. I think they were very aware that if they did anything slightly irksome, they would lose the <laughs> entire class. Something's getting on
0: fire. <laughs> it happens.
2: Uh, my school was... In my school, it was a case of the teachers gave up, and so did The kids... I think, uh, you know, the the teachers would go around to the back of the bike sheds to catch the kids smoking only because they wanted to borrow a light. It was that type of school.
3: Oh, we had one
2: of those. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, we had all of them. That was the headmaster, you know. Um, my school was absolutely awful it was like you know Saint Shithead School for Bastards I really (laughs) hated it it was it was it was in the it was in a really kind of you know run run down place and, and and I was I was mercilessly kind of had the kind of the I mean bullies at the beginning, but then they all kind of drop off. But there was a few that kind of stuck right the way through until like year eleven, until the last day of school. They're still there. You uh, have to, uh, you, know, you
1: have to in, like be proud of the bullies in in proper shit schools. Like they have tenacity.
2: Well, this is this is the thing. These were professional bullies. You know, yeah. they, you know <laughs> they were they, they, they were bullies
1: the, raised by bullies. Like they went yeah, home and got is, like bullied themselves. Now.
2: Yeah. this is it. This is the this is the craft that they were dedicated to. But the the pro, the, th- the problem is, like obviously, you know, I hated school and wanted to get right the way through school. Um, every time I did something good, it was like, oh, you're buffing. You yeah. know, you get all that, all that sort of stuff, and then you leave school, and a year, six months to a year later, you're in town. Uh, you've been you've been at work or at college or something like that, and you see him across the road, and he comes thundering over to you. It's the school bully. He's the guy who's made your life a living hell for years, and he comes up and goes. <gasps> It's you. Oh, how wonderful to see you. Oh, how, how's it going? Yeah. What are you doing? Oh, I tried getting in the army, but I couldn't get in the army. And now I'm just doing nothing. And you can tell, oh my God, it's only <laughs> been, it's been six months and the world has kicked the shit out of you. Thank God. You deserve every bit of it, you bastard. Well, to them, they didn't realise they were
0: bullying, probably. They just thought they that were the life the of the party. Well, that's the thing with bullies. They thought they were the bee's knees. Can they I just interrupt
1: with something to do with the film, briefly?
0: Yeah. No, the we're not talking we- about <laughs> <this> film.
1: <laughs> Sorry. The bit where um, he's rapping and stuff. One of you that has the internet access at the moment might be able to look it up. I'm pretty sure he's he's dancing to uh, a Travis Knight song.
0: <laughs> oh, brilliant. Chili tea in the I house. think
1: so. I might be very wrong, and that uh-huh. might just be one of those weird urban legend things I've made up in my brain. That's oh, a shame if, if it's not true If someone can Google that I have you a feeling You can find
0: the, the, some of Chili Tea's back catalogue On YouTube I believe uh, I at mean, One own of the it. press junkets I think it was for Kubo um, There was a specification Because I was talking with Travis Knight um, Travis Knight will be Answering questions Strictly limited to the motion picture Kubo and the two strings uh, No other questions will be accepted In the time you have it I was like, damn because I had a lot of <laughs> chili tea questions in my back pocket, and they all have to go in the trash now.
1: <laughs> That's a great shot as well.
0: Uh, for people who don't know what we're talking about, before he went into animation full throttle, Travis Knight cut a bit of an Everlast figure, I guess. Sort of doing uh, that kind of like White early noughties back. hip-hop <laughs> style thing. Is Everlast him the right... I always get Everlast and ever clear. I don't know confused. what you're talking
1: about. Are they both they sound they both sound like acne
0: treatment? <laughs> um, but yeah you go. I mean he's a multi-talented man, music and animation. We did more of them types in this world.
1: It's fascinating when you come across those people that are just really good at lots of things and you're just like, fuck off.
0: Well, this is the thing, I think the the, the cheap joke would be like, oh, he did a bunch of embarrassing rap. I have listened to it, and it's not my cup of tea. But it's not worse no. than ninety percent of what's actually the
1: time. considered
0: mainstream. Yeah. Um.
1: This is a good shot to talk about um, just the um, the density of their set dressing, and like yeah. the amount of detail that goes into everything. Yeah. And the lighting is incredible. Like the lighting, the person who does the lighting for most of Liker's films, but specifically this one is phenomenal this book is also incredible there's a bit in the art of book that sort of shows some of the pages from it and the cover and they're just really uh, what's the word
0: detailed luscious no, like, or nicked textural
1: like realistic but like of the time period that they're sort of meant to be
2: uh, I know what you mean you mean realistic but of the time period they're meant to be
1: yeah that exactly <laughs>
2: uh, believable character characterful
1: believable I think like authentic that's the one that's the word this is how we spend most of our <laughs> life by the way Steve just me trying to think <laughs> of words that I mean and then offering suggestions to of me and getting more increasingly annoyed that I can't remember the word
2: the Benthosaurus <laughs> following you around. <laughs>
1: He also is good at, like, me just going, how do you spell this? Sorry, how do you spell that again? Ten minutes later. <laughs> and going, that's not a word, Laura. You've just smushed two words together and made a new one.
0: Well, that is a gift of yours, actually. You're, you're very good at creating new portmanteaus. And the thing is, whenever you do that, it's immediately obvious what you mean. So it's not like they're there're like, unreadable malapropisms I- that
1: but it's concerning because I clearly think they're a word that exists.
0: Yeah, but Shakespeare did that as well. Yeah, but... Like, the amount of, of words that are considered actual words that he just made up by smushing words together. Uh,
3: are you saying Basically,
0: that? you're contributing.
1: <laughs> are you saying I'm the 21st century equivalent of Shakespeare? Well, yes. Well, you, you, you're Shakespeare,
2: but you stuck a wonk on it. <laughs>
1: stuck a wonk on it. I really wish I'd made this film... <laughs> okay. For many reasons, but this this is one of the particular
0: role, or just like
1: just all of it. I just love this film so much. Um, it would totally be. There's so many films and so many sections of this film. That I just really love the grave site. Is one of them. The fact that it's like set in like, I think like Maine, New England, kind of Massachusetts. Type of place. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, clouds and skies and stuff in this film were made using tool, like, photograph tool, which is what, like, cheap tutus are made out of, um, so that you still get um, that stop-motion feeling, even to things that don't really need it, but, like, it's so much better for it, and it keeps this kind of creepy feeling going throughout, and this real tangibility... The ears were something that was very specific to this film, the ability to sort of see through the ears, especially of Paranorman.
2: Yeah, there's a great example of it on screen now.
1: Which is a very unique thing for the 3D printing aspect of their films, because that would be very hard to do in pretty much anything else, because pretty much anything solid that you'd want to make a faceplate out of wouldn't have that. Yeah. And anything that would allow for that would be really annoyingly hard to animate i mean the alternative would be kind of doing like something similar to like what the little prince did and do it with paper but it would still be a nightmare because it would be so hard to keep s- structurally sound
0: hmm. is this sky stuff cg
1: it's cg but using material i think so i think it is cg right. like i don't think that would be able to be done in stop motion but it's using stop motion texture
0: if they were making, if they were making this now, they would try and do it with paper. <laughs> They'd find yeah. some way because they, they, you know, really.
1: I mean, they did kind of like they kind of did parts of it with. So, like, there's a big explosion like at the end of the film, like he. So sometimes they were Um. So yeah, I think it was done physically, but obviously then composited in so that they could take down the um, opacity.
0: Okay, so they were actually crafted hands. See, yeah, that. So. Oh, yeah. That's so what I meant.
1: If you go to page 157, you can 157. see... Oh, no,
0: I, I didn't mean did they do it on yeah. set. No, I, I, I got that it was composite. And but, you can uh, still see
1: the, the way they made ghosts and stuff, and then... Oh, it's just so good.
0: Yeah. Hmm. Did, um... Either of you guys see a film called The Frighteners, an old Peter Jackson film.
2: No, I've heard of it, but uh, I've not seen it, which doesn't help.
0: No, yeah, it just, sort of bits of this film kind of remind me of it a little bit. This character here, this sort of old, is this a judge? Yeah. Um, very, very similar to a character in um, uh, The Fright*. It's a live action film about a guy who can see ghosts um, and kind of pals around with them and cons people. Um, uh, and then it sort of becomes a whole other thing Anyway um, I, w- I wonder if there was a little bit of influence um, On this film from there That was kind of pre-Lord of the Rings Peter Jackson And if I you watch his scene older well. films This
1: scene makes me think of you Ben <laughs> Wait Just wait 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 wait, wait 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 wait. you'll see it What? <laughs> wait I'm busy <laughs>
0: <laughs> I understand now. Yeah, <laughs> that was
1: baby Ben. <laughs>
0: that was a uh, little Ben watching the chamomile lawn. I like I like period literature. What can I tell and you?
1: Big old butts.
0: Um,
1: <laughs> There's a it- lot of like great jokes in this, like tiny little jokes mm. that are in no way subtle <laughs> but are just very good but also very in keeping I think the other reason why I really like this film is it's very in keeping with the horror genre as well but not in a hand-fisted way in which they could have done like it's definitely like a homage to a lots of like early zombie films and you know that kind yeah. of thing but it's not there aren't like loads and loads of really obvious what's the word like
0: Homages to it. Well, it compared mm. to like the opening sequence where he's watching the mm. film, that's a very kind of you know broad pastiche.
1: It's funny that they've this. chosen to that that an animated film is sort of bringing humanity to what is often a very like when it's done in live action is a very cheesy medium
3: mm-hmm.
1: and cheesy style of making films like '80s zombie flicks, yeah, or creature features, which are like they're sort of made to be insanely ludicrous but this sort of brings it into the real world by animating it which kind of feels a bit like an oxymoron but there we go
0: yeah I mean it's sort of animation and horror can make pretty good bedfellows I think especially with stop motion too um
1: I think okay so this is an opinion I have that recently I had a conversation with someone that disagreed with me um but I still think I'm right that um, stop motion is sort of innate, like completely designed to be made for horror, and that's why pretty much every stop motion feature film is kind of a horror film, bar maybe, or is in, if not a horror film is has
0: horror element,
1: horror element, and sort of relies on this sort of in net, innate. Uncanniness. Except yeah, yeah. for maybe, I did come up with one, but I can't think of what it is. There was one film that was like, this is not, I think maybe Missing Link is not technically that.
2: Sorry, are you saying like stop motion films? Are no, not? No, just uh, all stop
1: motion films.
2: All, every single stop motion film?
1: Every stop motion film, I think, has a foot in darkness.
3: Ooh. Because I, like
1: I think it comes from darkness and I think it's made in darkness and I think the people that make it have a darkness to them.
2: Yeah, I mean, you you can look into the cold, dead eyes of Postman Pat and think, oh my god. <laughs> but that's not a
3: feature film. <laughs> I, I'm uh, not well, saying, Postman like,
2: Pat, the movie, is pretty fucking horrific, so... But like, yeah.
1: I, I completely think series and stuff can be light and, and jovial and, and, and because it's mostly for children, it's mo- normally for preschool as well. Um... But feature stop motion almost always seems to be if it's not the central theme is something to do with horror or darkness. It definitely has a darkness to
0: it. Would you say that the exception might have been Shaun the Sheep?
1: Yes, that yeah, was that pretty was it. Light. Yeah,
0: but everything. Else but it,
1: even then, there's moments of darkness in that.
0: There's suspenseful moments, and I think the second one had some kind of like.
1: Well, that's sci-fi, and sci-fi is elements. sci-fi is an aspect of horror.
0: Well, they certainly, you know, there's there's an overlap. Yeah. Um, and I think there were some sort
1: of things. that came No, up. pirates, Victorian England. They, you know, there's the Elephant Man.
2: <laughs> wow, uh, you've you've. I mean, this is solid. This is <laughs> this is rock solid. It's got an Elephant Man in it.
1: I'm not. I'm, and also, <laughs> I think the reason why. That possibly, people disagree with this, is because they they make it. It makes it sound like they're all the same, which is not what I'm saying at all. No, no. I'm just saying that as a medium of making, like stop motion, instead of like CG or or two D, is the the material of choice for doing something in a kind of dark tone in animation. Which is probably why it was also used, you know, for a long time for special effects.
0: CG uh, horror and animation does tend to be pretty wet.
1: It does go together well because obviously we have lots of special effects that now are all done in in CG as well. But also, and it uh, but it there's something about uh, CG that just doesn't work. So if you have you ever seen oh god what's it called? Monster House? Yeah. Oh god, that's the worst film I've ever seen. I hate that film so much. And we're doing um, it next
2: week on the Squiggly oh Film God, Club. It
1: it just goes on forever and it's not scary and there's some and the character design is terrifying but for all the wrong reasons. Yeah. Like it's really it was right on the border of when they just couldn't figure out how to make stop motion not look terrifyingly uncanny. Um, but so they're like, oh, we're trying to make it stylistic, but we also want to show that we can, you know, make humans look like humans, and they just didn't make a decision, and so it ends up with what they ended up with. Um, but CG stop motion and uh, CG um, horror films, unless you're really going for it being uncanny and you're playing with the uncanny in that aspect, doesn't really work in the way that stop motion does because there's something about the innate tangibility about it the fact that it sort of falls into our primordial fears of both uh, the uncanny and things moving when they shouldn't. Mm. Or like knowing that this thing lives in the world and that it's not real and it doesn't breathe, but yet it's, it's making itself seem so, which is what uncanny is.
2: And do, where does that exist in something like uh, My Life's a Courgette? Is it that kind of? Is it I think the,
1: it's just that the, the human whole film, nature? I think the whole film is slightly dark, and I think yeah, what's weird about the uh, "My Life is the Courgette" is actually that the stop motion, the story actually softens the darkness because the way that they sort of go about their lives and the fact that it's it's so literally what would happen if any of those things happened that it actually doesn't use animation in its kind of usual form where it tries to do something quite abstract or. Um, for want of a better word creative with it it's not doing anything particularly animation-y with it it's using that kind of uses kids what visually appears as a kid's toy or a kid's medium to to tell this horrible very real very gritty story from the perspective of a child Mm. to make it to make you realise how children because I like that film because I like um, the idea that children actually handle trauma sometimes a lot better than humans would because they just kind of get on with it.
2: Do you mean adults?
1: Oh, yeah. Um, children deal with it better than <laughs> adults would because they don't yeah. worry about all the things. It could mean that they're, they're just dealing with it in the moment. And so if they... Unless they sort of, you know, stuff it down somewhere um, and don't hand, deal with it, they are able to deal with it a, m- a lot more, frankly, if they're, if they're allowed to because... They can only live in the present because they don't have any uh, conception of the future or the past,
3: particularly.
0: And I think that's why it works very well as a film that fairly young people could watch and not be bothered by.
1: What happened? Hmm? By what happened?
0: Yeah, but by the sort of the the inferred thing. So Mm -hmm. you don't see an awful lot of stuff on screen, but there's a lot of stuff that you know has happened. Um, that's presented in a kind of manageable way, but there are these allusions to, you know, the horrors of life and things that kids shouldn't be subjected to. And between the, you know, the, the first sort of main incident of the accidental um, killing of the mother to the, the sort of casual descriptions of a, a wide array of quite horrific abuses that these kids have suffered. And yet the sun is shining... And they're getting on with things and, you know, they're they're generally, you know, forming this kind of allegiance among themselves. And it's sort of palatable um, and I think easier on the soul than something that would be sort of like, a you know, you could make a much more concerted effort to shock an audience or, you know, pull at its heartstrings um, by being a lot more specific or putting a lot more visuals in your face. And I think the film made the sort of classier move of stepping away from that. But it also doesn't shy away from it. It still exists. It's still stuff that has happened. Um, and, I, you know, we talked at great length about how much we liked the film. It was very deftly done.
2: Mm. I think you've got a good point there, Laura. I'm trying to... I'm trying, I mean, I can see people balking at it and going, absolutely not, you know, the Pirates is fun. You know, uh, uh, but... In terms of in terms of what's at the core of stop motion and what it does to us psychologically when we watch it, maybe it is maybe it does have a. uh, I want. I hasten to use the word natural, but almost like it. it, It's natural for us to have a reaction, even uh, no matter how internal that that reaction is. But it's there.
1: Mm. I think also the kind of gut reactions for some people whenever you sort of say anything has kind of a horror leaning or a darkness is that horror because of it being a genre film subsection depending on your generation or your interaction with it kind of instantly turns people off because similarly to animation horror gets a really bad rep for being trashy or like not real or like being like a garbage way of making a film. Uh, because it's like it's silly or the acting is poor or something because there you know there have been periods of time where horror has been that and it has been really trashy but you know and then there's this this other aspect of horror where some of the the best films i've ever been would fit very comfortably within the horror genre like the shining and um jaws and you know a lot of films that people would consider their favorite films would also be a horror film um and i think that's why animation and horror work so well as well is because they're good bedfellows because they're both sitting on the outskirts of like legitimate cinema
2: hmm okay
1: not that that's not my opinion but i think that's why they work well together because it's like two wrongs make a right
2: it's a it's a it's a it's a good theory. I like it. I'd like to see more work. I want I want three thousand words on my desk <laughs> by Monday.
0: Well I do believe um there's a, a well, we're gonna be doing some more sort of horror and animation squiggly stuff at some point. Maybe. Maybe. I think there's certainly a lot of stuff out there um that would make for good conversation points.
2: Hmm. Spooky.
0: Oh, we're just both big
1: nerds. (laughs) Like, both people, both groups of people, horror fans and animation fans are big nerds.
0: Don't know what you mean.
1: So, you know, we should get together and make beautiful,
0: weird babies.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Our kids are going to be so strange.
0: No, our kids are going to play like sports. Sports. No, <laughs> no. no
1: It's my biggest fear it's actually my generally like other than like the them other than them being like healthy, you know, not being healthy or having anything seriously actually wrong, my biggest fear is that my mum like like that I'll have a kid and it'll be like, I wanna be a footballer when I grow up and I'll be like, No It'll be like that bit in the Adams family where it's like my child has a blush and blonde hair. He giggles <laughs> Oh am like, oh, no. <laughs> I'm like, oh, how did, I, how did we produce something so normal?
0: It's wholesome.
1: It's wholesome. It's happy.
0: He wants to go out and socialize. He
1: likes the outside. <laughs> what have we produced?
2: Such a rebel. Nice uh, a bit of graphics there.
1: And also, we don't have anyone sporty in our family, so we don't even have anyone we can like leave it with. We're going to have to go to a football game.
2: No, that's Ooh. true. I'd rather relax, Laura. It's not happened yet. <laughs> it's, like it's my biggest
1: fear. <laughs> it really got a plan is. for
2: disaster.
1: It's my biggest fear. <laughs> it's like this scene. That's me.
2: Yeah. I think we're, we're talking about stop motion as well and, and the choices. This, I mean, this film's often put forward as the first um, stop motion movie to utilize 3D color printer technology, replacement mm-hmm. faces. Um, but you're looking at the zombies and their traditional latex and I love that, I love what they've done there they did it in Chuck Steel as well didn't they the zombies were latex I think in Chuck Steele whereas the the main characters were plasticine uh, and I think that kind of it, that, that really, that distinction between something that's dead coming to life and something that's quote unquote already alive in the film
1: there's also a great Works. like the scenes are uh, kind of the crux of this but this the constant within creature features and sort of like readings of films and reading of this film particularly is how the real people the humans are the ones that act monstrously either towards Norman or his friends or the zombies or the or the witch like they're the monsters not the monsters themselves. Yeah. And there's a really I think for what is, you know, not a film, I think a lot of people like this film, but I, I don't think, you know, it's not like one of those, it's not Nightmare for Christmas, you know, it's not like on everyone's like top 10 list, but it's an incredibly intelligent film that I think deals with a lot of really big issues about acceptance and should be a film that should be watched. In it's underrated.
2: It's so underrated. You're right. I think it,
1: I think it's a film that should definitely be watched in quarantine, and should be watched in times where we are sort of dealing with prejudice and and coming face to face with prejudice and just the fact that the I mean the take home story from this whole film is humans make mistakes and good people make terrible decisions out of fear, mm. and that's like fear is the crux of everything... My ethos on life is that everything stems from fear. Everything good and everything bad comes from fear in one way or another. And that's why I'm a huge horror fan. Because fear is the most uh, powerful emotion, more so than anything else. Because fear can make you do the best and the worst things that humans have ever done. Mm.
3: Um,
1: And this is basically... What I think this story is mostly about, more so than it being about a you know a weirdo or a loner come good or saving the town, which is kind of how it's normally sort of sold. Mm -hmm. It's about humans in humans realizing their own stupidity out of fear. And this scene particularly sort of showcases that, like how these people feel like they're right in what they're doing because. You know, of course, you'd beat up a bunch of zombies, and yeah. how much joy they're getting from it.
0: Well, think of the state of the world at the moment, exactly. where, with the absolute barest minimum of provocation, we will find a group of zombies to lynch,
3: mm-hmm.
0: um, and scream at, and you know, condemn. How dare you? Like and a lot of, like you say, it's all predicated on fear.
3: Everything like fear bad. of
0: not being heard, fear of being heard the wrong way, um, like And it's the
1: idea of inaction can also be a problem. But I, I, it—that's something I have a real issue with because I don't. I think inaction in total, when you see something actually happening in front of you, of course that's bad. But I don't think reacting to everything on a gut instinct and and straight away, and the fear of inaction being worse than anything else is a good thing either. I think thinking things through and considering how your actions or how you feel about something and then considering how your actions might make someone else feel still should really win out over anything else.
2: I think in terms of... Uh, well, this is particularly true true online, but I think fear of being wrong is something that that people cannot uh, cannot have. They can't. No. They can't be wrong. They have to be. They can't learn. They're not. There's no room for them to learn anything new. I know it's something I've obviously I've suffered from. You know, and I've, I've been that person <laughs> as much no. as I. I'm well. You know, um, I'm not wrong about that. But yeah, uh, the um, being that person who can't be taught anything. Um,
1: Pride, I think, is Jesus. also. Jesus, do
2: you guys? What? Where do you live? In the <laughs> ghetto.
1: Wow. We live in the actual ghetto. I don't know what the hell is. I live and work in this room, and I work on the side of our building that has all the sirens, and that's the one thing that has come of COVID is that I I've become the mental person that screams out of the door at motorcyclists who do the thing where they're like, ying 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 whilst they're oh, like not idling. I just I want to cut like really I really want to kick that guy in the dick.
0: Listen, no wonder we're so afraid. Listen to the fucking state of the world outside. <laughs> but the sirens
1: are annoying, but I don't mind them because they have a job to do. It's the motorcyclists that, like, every day at seven o'clock without it's fucking this one fail, piece of
0: shit with a micro dick, just who goes around that roundabout.
1: But he does it again like an hour <laughs> later, and I this like you can tell we've been locked in because. Is there,
0: are there anyone left on the street that so doesn't bad. know how small my dick is? I better go round again.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh god, I hate <laughs> that guy god. so fucking much. Listen,
2: look, his mum's giving him four quid to put petrol in the tank. It's fine, he's just going round, he's having a laugh, he's enjoying himself. It's
1: so loud, yeah, it's so unnecessarily loud. Just go anywhere else, go into the country. What are you doing?
0: It's unbelievable so fear in the human but condition yeah.
1: yeah so that's yeah. how we've uh, broken as people have Just you have you ever in traffic.
2: did you ever see and this goes back to that kind of hollywood involvement thing and, and completely missing the message but did you ever see i am legend the will smith film
3: yeah yeah.
2: yeah you've you've heard of the original ending to that haven't you the book ending and I how they, think were, so. they were they were so, in, in and this is, this is spoilers for a film that's way too old and no one's... If you've not seen it, don't worry about it. You know, um, I, I'm not making any apologies for spoiling the ending. But um, in the ending, uh, Will Smith, who's the hero throughout, he lives in this post-apocalyptic world where at night uh, zombies come out to live and during the day you're not allowed to make noise otherwise the zombies will come and get you. And at the end... He sacrifices himself in order to save, uh, somebody who he's looking after, who gets to escape, and then he blows himself up in the house and kills loads of, takes loads of zombies with him. What a hero. And these people get to escape to this utopia where, you know, there's a a cordoned off society and all blah, blah, blah. The book had a much better ending, because the original ending, it turns out that Will Smith realizes that The world doesn't belong to... Well, not Will Smith. It wasn't Will Smith. It was in the book, obviously. (laughs) But the the main character realises that um, he's not the Fresh Prince anymore. No, he (laughs) realises that he's he's the problem. He's going around during the day, and if any of these uh, zombies come after him, he kills them. And the zombies have created and developed a world and a culture... And they all have meaning in their lives, and they're all terrified of him. He's the baddie. He's the the one villain in their life. Everyone else gets along, and and in the end, the guy just goes, "Oh, I, I realize I'm I'm the arsehole. It's me. All right." And he kills himself.
0: So but I think the overall message then is: even if your life gets flipped, turned upside down, <laughs> you
2: don't need to go <laughs> making trouble in your neighbourhood. He got he in one little fight and his, his mum got scared.
1: <laughs> I think there's a similar thing with um, the film The Girl of All the Gifts. I think that has a similar thing where the ending of the film is very different to the ending of the book. And it, I think maybe the, big, the ending of the film is meant to be a bit more uplifting. I've seen the film, but I haven't read the book and I can't remember what it is that the problem or the difference is.
0: Yeah, I don't need a happy ending in a film, necessarily.
1: No, I find it really... I love it when there's a bleak ending, because I'm like, oh, I wasn't expecting that.
0: I prefer a bleak ending to no ending at all, which is a, a very common cop-out I'm finding in movies nowadays, is the ending is the, well, what happened? Cut to black
2: credits. Oh, all
0: right. Like, I, I'm Sequel. Find
2: it- Sequel happened. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the... um. The films that have been kind of wrecked from, like, that sort of meddling, um, I mean, I I don't know how, I guess it's probably still, you know, a a thing that goes on, but uh, I remember there were some, like, classic movies that would have ended really well, if not for it testing poorly. But people were, were upset, you know, like.
1: It's that weird thing that I find very strange with films in general, like the idea that it didn't play well with audience or the audience found the the ending upsetting, which I don't think necessarily happens so much now, I would hope. But I'm like, good. Like, at least they felt something. Like, isn't that... Like, cinema is not about happy endings. It's about emotion and feeling something. Yeah, Yeah, it's An experience. It doesn't matter if it, you know, everyone dies in the end. Like... That happens sometimes.
0: Yeah. Uh, and I don't know, I guess they sort of feel... I, but
1: this is an I amazing g- puppet. The girl. and the. Yeah. See, this is another thing where like, having the 3D printing is of huge advantage because there's a bit coming up. Okay, so this is my favourite scene in any stop-motion film, or to be honest, any animated film there's ever been, is the scene that's coming up with them floating in the whiteness. But their use of um, 3D printing in that scene is amazing because they use it to create smears and, and morphing yeah. shapes. And that, for me, is where like the ability... Or 3D printing as a, a process of doing replacement animation is at its finest. Like, And I think in this film is where they and, and they've done far more complex things since, and there's some great things in all of their films that sort of... Further that use in some way, like the Moon Beast and Kubo and uh, various other things. But th- for me, this is where like their use of three D printing for stop motion really did all the best things it could do.
2: Well, it's not a gimmick, is it? For them, it's a it's a tool, and 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 it's as often said, isn't it? With an animated film, is like, oh, these aren't gimmicks. It's just whatever's best for the story. blah de blah. But with this, it's true. They've decided that you know, well, we're using three D printing. Well, what can we do that hasn't been done in stop motion before? That what can we craft? What can we create? What can we do? And they created that incredible scene.
1: And it's that merging of everything. It's the merging of uh, the best two D designs and previs work. The the most you know useful and condensed use of CGI for both. Uh, pre-production and post-production and editing and then utilising everything that stop motion has in its arsenal to make a film that sort of brings together all three mediums into the best possible way and I think this is probably the film that does that the best certainly in Leica's catalogue but I would argue within most films
3: Mm.
2: of this kind
1: it's just so beautiful.
2: I, I, yeah, I uh, I must say it is a high point for Laika for me. Kubo's got some amazing stuff in it. I really had a soft spot for Missing Link, but Paranorman for me is the film. Box Trolls is great.
1: I think Kubo overall, has, in terms of like what story is and story arcs, has a better story in terms of technically... But mm-hmm. I love this more because it plays more to the things I like.
3: Yeah.
1: Um. But you know, it's this, and then and then Kubo for me, and then Coraline.
3: Hmm.
1: And Coraline really, purely, there are some great scenes in it, but also just by marker of being the first.
0: Coraline, I remember like really enjoying at the time, and then quite quickly. I think probably from the point where this film came out, it just sort of ceased to do anything for me. I think there was something quite captivating about the, the visuals that we got in Coraline. Um,
1: I think it's the framing device. I think the framing device of Coraline I always forget about, but the or like that's what sticks in my mind rather. And then actually the kind of the more fantasy elements of that film. So like the stuff in the garden, the stuff in the basement, the stuff in the attic, and the stuff in the other world is mm. actually phenomenal, and when you think about it a little bit more, you're like, oh, actually, no, that's an incredible film. There is a slight issue sometimes with Leica films, and I don't know this is possibly just a personal thing, and I do like them, but I do have to constantly remind myself how much I like them, because I do ki- if I'm not watching them, I do kind of instantly forget about them.
0: Well, the, like you say, they're the underrated films. The world, I don't think, has embraced them in a way that reminds you of their existence Daily, whereas other animation powerhouses do. We don't even realise, it. but we will see something to do with the Disney Pixar oh, yeah. multiverse every day on TV. There'll be some ad for a service or their app or whatever. Um, anytime <laughs> you go to a, a shop, there'll be um, something to do with minions or some other...
1: So kind of two points that I think on that is that I do wonder if that is because of, out virtue of it, you know, like a forming nowhere near any of our childhood so we've not been brought up with these so maybe if I'd been a child when Paranormal came out or Coraline came out maybe it would be more ingrained in me in, in the way that most other animated films are that I love <laughs> the, uh, but yeah. then saying that I have a very f- strong fondness for Fantastic Mr. Fox and I didn't see that as a child the other thing I will say and it's something I wanted to talk about in general is Laika doesn't really merchandise like they merchandise but they like like they do highfalutin merchandise. They, they don't
0: merchandise for collectors.
1: Yeah, they don't merchandise crap that you can pick up anywhere. Like you really have to hunt it out. And it's normally limited edition, very expensive. You can get actual props from the film quite often, but like for hundreds and hundreds of pounds. Mm. Um like and yeah, they don't and also they always do limited edition Nike runs after this. Like you can get <laughs> like was uh nike styled in the you know and and trainers in general as a whole world i don't understand but people really go nuts for collector trainers hmm. um but generally it's very hard to find anything for any like a film and Paranorman was one of the hardest they didn't really do anything actually no Paranorman i think had some of the most but it's still really hard to find especially in this country
2: do you want to hear a heartbreaking story yeah. Well, from my point of view,
3: yeah.
2: I had a Coraline key and they had a limited edition amount uh, of these keys. So it's just a, a key that doesn't open anything, but it's got a button on the end. And they dropped them uh, randomly throughout New York City as, as viral mer- merchandising. And I was given one by um, the head of um, marketing at, uh, um, at Leica and it was stolen from me. <gasps> Who stole uh, it? Well if, we... I, well, if I knew that yeah. I'd have me, I'd have me bloody foot on when my neck, did Laura. When
1: they
2: steal it, how did who It was a, a it was a Bradford Laura Animation Festival. <gasps>
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's a special you place bastards. in hell for that person. <laughs> you don't steal merch.
0: You know who you are. Yeah. You feel very bad. And you're listening.
1: You don't steal limited edition you. animation stuff. It's really fucking hard to find, especially
2: from me. But yeah, I um, mean that's like
1: the main reason. Like other than obviously it being amazing, but I really want to work on a Leica film because I want the free stuff at the end.
3: Yes, because <laughs> <laughs> it's the
1: only way. Sometimes you see that come up on eBay where people have like come into hard times and they're selling their their like crew stuff. And I always mm. feel really awful because I'm like, I'm not betting on that. I don't want you to sell it because I don't want you to not have it.
2: The uh the other thing that they did for this particular film as well, uh, which made me very jealous at the time, was you see, saw all these celebrities. Now this is when viral marketing was was still a kind of you know, it could get you it could get you far. But um, you know, loads of celebrities were posted um a box which had dirt in it. And they yes. were given a little shovel, and you
1: could dig it up.
2: Yeah, you dug it up, and it was yeah. one of the. It was one of the uh, village elders, one of the zombies, and so obviously they zombies. all made videos. Different
1: boxes had different zombies.
2: Yeah, so you had all these celebrities doing unboxing videos with. Um, uh, great gag there, itchy weeners. Uh, sorry, uh, just to remind people were watching a film, but um, yeah, the um, it was it, that type of thing was great.
3: I, like
1: I used to do a thing, which I guests just died off after a while but they used to do a thing where they did month i think it was even monthly yeah i think it was monthly competitions around a theme and you had to design something um for it and you could win you could win the prizes so like limited edition merchandise and stuff from them and one of the people one of mm. things you could win was one of these zombie boxes um oh, they're just incredible and like And it was so unfair because it ranged from all sorts of things, from, like, you know, a four-year-old doing a drawing of Paranorman to, um, I I remember it was how I came across, um, have you ever heard of, uh, the the model maker and concept artist Ben Whitehouse? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Well, he used to, he once made, like, an amazing puppet, like, incredibly, very much, you know, inspired by Paranorman, very much, could fit into the world perfectly for one of these monthly competitions, he cl- obviously won, but it was just, like, this up against, like, eight-year-olds drawing pictures of, like, trees, and it was just, like, wow. Take that,
2: eight-year-olds.
1: But that was amazing. <laughs> um, I mean, don't get me wrong, there was other amazing things I won against. It wasn't like it was, like, piss easy, but he really took it, like, to the extreme. Mm. But, yeah, the, the... It's such... It's so weird, because, like... You know, not in any way is Ardman out, but you can get Wallace and Gromit fucking anything
2: if you try <laughs> yeah, hard I enough. Would, I was at a garden centre weeks ago, and there was a Wallace and Gromit garden gnome. I only bought six yes. of them, but yet there was... <laughs> but, <this>
1: thing, <laughs> but exactly, and you, you can get it pretty much on anything, and especially Sean, because he's so big in yeah. Japan. So you can get him on anything, whether it's official or not, I'm not sure, but... But they also do get a lot of their money from merchandising like they they have a lot of merchandise like officially mm. um, and obviously Disney has you know you can't go anywhere without finding something with a Disney label on. but I find it really odd because they they definitely have the infrastructure because of the night connection like they know how to mass produce stuff yet they don't. they have occasionally done like things with McDonald's, but they've had the McDonald's toy. Be a like a thing which I found fascinating because you'd think of all the things they wouldn't do, that wouldn't be one of them. Hmm. But it is a form of advertising. But they did that for Box Trolls, I think, and I don't think they did it for another one after. But Box Trolls was very good because obviously there were loads of different Box Troll characters, and it's just a troll in a box, so it was quite an easy toy. And also, they used to do a thing, they did a thing with that one as well, specifically, where you could actually download the models of the box tours and 3D print them yourself. Oh, nice. Um, they were obviously massively simplified, just like models, like fully solid f- form models, because you wouldn't be able to 3D print it otherwise. But yeah. Yeah, that was pretty incredible. But I'm, I'm always bummed out that there isn't more stuff. Um, and it's a bit like um, we were saying with um, when we did the James and the Giant Peach one. Like, it's weird how there's um, films that you're like, you'd think of anything, you'd merchandise the shit out of it. Mm. That's a. This is a great shot. Is
3: this the
0: scene coming up? Yeah. So
1: all of basically everything from this point, I everyone just shut up and watch the <laughs> film.
0: <laughs> but do we have to shut up? Yeah, too? shut up. Oh, man.
1: We're not even. We don't even have a sound on. You're only allowed to talk about the scene that's happening in front of you right now.
2: <laughs> well, I think where it started there, this scene, uh, and what you're seeing is a lot of close-ups. And for this to be, quote unquote, the first 3D color-printed, blah blah, 3D printed thing. I mean, something that you notice throughout this film is how well it holds up, mm. uh, uh, even when the characters talking. Oh, this, this bit here. You
1: can see the morphing faces, so they were all yeah. physical molds that uh, physical pieces that were, like, printed.
2: And, and were they were they switched to be negative in post, or are I they painted so. like I that? I think they're, like, yeah. the
1: ones I've seen are just white. Like, that's an amazing shot there, just the close-up of Norman's face. I love the scene. Okay, so the, the scene going into the, the white space, which is about to happen when he touches her, um, I think was animated by someone called Justin Ranch, who is someone who I love everything he does but he he's quite an odd mix of an animator because he also he comes from a CG background so he's a he studied and learned um, to be a CG animator and did lots of CG animation and still does he works for Blizzard and stuff like that but he also he really wanted to be a stop motion animator so he became one and he and he works on Laika films and he also worked on like Spongebob and other things so he has an incredibly vast skill set um, but he tends to do the big action sequences so he also did the big action sequence on the boat with the two sisters in Kubo with the monkey mm.
3: that's a great and, sequence
1: yeah it's a phenomenal so he does like the really like you know poster child animation scenes like he does some incredible work but the fi- reason why I think he ends up getting though the big action scenes is he's also a stuntman so, like, he just has the most, in- like, strange and diverse skill set of being, like, both a completely competent CG animator who's, like, you know, has worked in the industry for years and years and years, an incredibly adept stop-motion um, animator, and also, like, this massive bodybuilding, like, stuntman who, he, you know, he does all the, the um, what are they called, lose, lols.
3: What?
1: Live. The you know when you video yourself for reference.
3: Oh, labs, labs,
1: called labs. That was I was like, it's like toilet. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, so yeah, he just. But this is like my favorite scene. Was is once again? I keep saying it's coming up. It is coming. I promise. But it's just phenomenal. And also the, the scripting for this is also amazing. It's amazing to be talking about something so horrific and so traumatising but not feel like it's coming from the voice of adults making yeah. it still feel like it's coming albeit very mature for their age but definitely coming from children. And I, I think it's something like if, you know, once they're of the you know appropriate age it would always be a film I'd want every child to see. Mm. Um, because I think it's very important. And it sort, of, it sort of shortcuts one of the biggest life lessons I think you can learn as a child that often doesn't come into a lot later, which is that adults are fallible and don't really know what they're doing either. And sometimes they do terrible things, but that doesn't mean you have to follow in their example, which I think is, once again, a really... Big thing at the moment. Those hands are amazing. They are. They look like real human hands. <laughs> They're insane. They look nicer than my hands.
2: <laughs> yeah, I but like you're it. you're a stop motion animator. They'll all be covered in glue <laughs> no, no, and no,
1: I'm missing one and
2: <laughs> plasters.
1: I also love the fact that you can sort of tell there's a, a family resemblance because I think there's meant to be some sort of thing that he is. Descendant from yeah. her. Yeah. But they've got the same eyebrows. Yeah. And I also think it's amazing that they've, you know, she's a witch or like she was sort of seen to be a witch and that's why she was killed. Um, and they've got this kind of witchy vibe, but they don't really, they don't go really tacky with it. Which I think could have very well happened, especially in a kind of children's film. Yeah. The way she cries is insanely good.
2: I was watching that thinking, how are they doing that with the replacements? And I, think it, must, not.
1: I think it is just lubrication on, on the face because...
2: Well, it's the bottom half of the face that they're not animating and there's a join, isn't there, between the, the forehead and the bottom... If I remember, there's a video on Squiggly like, from years the, and years and years ago and there's a seam the between the, the eyes. The yes, yeah. Yeah. So there's two parts to the to the uh, 3D printed faces in later films. They do the, the whole thing, wouldn't they? On,
1: and on Norman, because you can kind of see it where his hairline is. Yeah, yeah. Which I don't remotely mind, but I'm sure it drives someone at like a nuts.
3: Hmm.
2: I think I think you were saying something earlier on about us not growing up with these films, and I can see that how. In terms of holding it close to your heart, I think you said, but or, or, or treasuring it, perhaps. But I, I do, I do treasure this a film like this because, and a film like Mary and Max, and films that have come out when I've been of a certain age, you know, a lot older than, than a, um, than a, a kid who's supposed to, although kids aren't supposed to watch Mary and Max, but you know, you get the idea. Um, yeah, yeah. A kid who's supposed to be watching this film, for example, and that's because when I saw it as an adult, I was reviewing it for. For Squiggly, obviously, and it struck me as something fresh and unique, mm. and I think that's what I'll always take away from it. That you know, in a world, in a in a world of uh, of your Disney's and Pixar's and DreamWorks, here came this this film came along and just had so much energy and so much flair and creativity, and I think. I really appreciate that and that really stuck with me.
1: I think what's also really phenomenal like as work well, is that and I think something that I would have um been drawn to especially as a child is the fact that they really don't talk down to children at all and I could never really I can't talk down to children. I find it very hard to talk to kids anyway because I don't know really how to engage with them
3: because hmm. I
1: just talk to them I just talk to them like I would a, anyone like how's your job going?
2: <laughs> here's my taxes. business card <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, I think I have wanted I think I've shaken like a child's hand before so I'm like I don't know what to do here hello <laughs> nice to meet you Had have you had to travel far <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but it because I spend a lot of my childhood around adults more so because of being you know, like we were talking about last week not having siblings and not just sort of being plopped with my siblings to be like, yeah, you'll look after each other. Um, so I always had, you know, adult babysitters and and was around adults a lot. And so I didn't really... I always responded more to being talk- spoken to like an adult. Yeah. Um, and... I probably wouldn't have responded very well to people like myself as a child. Of like, you can always tell when like you know when adults will like overcompensate for the fact that they're trying to, like, "How are you today?"
3: Yeah, I like
1: like I remember having people talk to me that like that as a child. And be like, "Fine, I'm gonna go over there and draw now. Yeah. <laughs> you stay where you are and just walk away at like eight. But I
0: think as far as, as- how we kind of absorb films as good, because I'm sort of in agreement with both of you on that. Like, I definitely have a fondness for a lot of modern films, but it is quite a different beast. And I think a lot of it is sort of down to, like, our prefrontal cortex and how it's a different thing when you're sort of past the age of, like, 25 than it is when you're growing up. And I think it's not necessarily that we can be enchanted by great films more than when we we would be as an adult. It's more that our brains reward mediocre films more. Yeah. And so we have a lot of nos- and TV shows and whatever, and music, and we have a lot of nostalgia rooted in stuff that wasn't that exceptional.
1: I also think that we sometimes, the things that we enjoy as a child, it's not necessarily you know if it's fortunate if it turns out to be an okay film as well but there's a lot more you get from films as a child that you don't as an adult and then there are a lot of things you get from films as an adult that you don't as a child but reasons for me liking films as a kid are ludicrous like no. when I really break it down when I really think about why it is that I like it and it will normally come down to like one scene or liking how they're dressed or whatever like mm. it's very rarely like the story is kind of secondary to something else Random, like the music or something in the mm-hmm.
0: film. I think it's that thing of like people they they bitch about how like something that they loved is is brought back or there's a sequel or you know a band they liked released release a new album. It's like it's not as good as it was. It's just like well you you you're not as
1: <laughs> stupid as you were.
0: Like it's a good thing you're growing up. You kind of <laughs> you're you're. you're judging things by different criteria than you would have before
1: I think what's also quite fascinating with that is when they're like oh I don't like the new thing it's like you don't have to watch it
3: you, no,
2: you yeah. can you make
1: that choice as an adult the you're old not things on now. DVD
2: the old things on DVD Yeah.
1: you know you're not a child anymore you're not you know you don't have to go wherever your parents go you don't have to watch whatever your kids your parents want to watch on TV you can make yeah. your own decisions
3: and there's so
0: much to pay attention to that there's it's the easiest thing in the world to ignore anything that might bother you.
3: Leica so why waste people... the
0: limited number of seconds you have in the day, in your life even,
2: on getting upset over it. Yeah. Like
1: there's another people that do really great end sequences.
2: Yeah, this is amazing yeah. I was about to say.
1: They do it a lot though, like all like I really love the end sequence in Kubo as well that's really beautiful.
2: Hmm.
0: The grandma, um... The whole thing with him, like, and his grandma uh, communicating to the distress of the parents rings a bit familiar for me, because apparently when my grandma died, um, I conjured at the very young age I was a sort of imaginary friend in the the mold of my grandma and, you know, would have conversations with it when I was bored. Um, And, you know, it wasn't too pervasive a thing, like, it wasn't, you know, I wasn't Going around doing horrible things because the the ghostly old lady <laughs> told me to, but it was creepy enough, I think, that it wasn't just an imaginary friend that was made up or Are a you nonsense. Tell character. the ice cream story. Oh yeah, that was when like the, my the, my parents got sort of actually alarmed like, about uh, it. Was
1: enough of this now.
0: <laughs> they, um... I don't know why that uh, we were having dessert or something, and I think I said to my mother. Uh, Grandma doesn't think you should have ice cream, Mum. <laughs> <laughs> and the, <laughs> the sort of passive-aggressive, you know, Canadian waspishness of that, uh, I think, hit, like, home. <laughs> they, all right, enough of uh, enough of Grandma, bed. <laughs> but if there was ever any credibility to it, I think that was the moment.
2: <laughs> so... uh yeah, five minutes. Five minutes uh, to go. We got f- to pick next week, but before we do, we've got a couple of uh, a couple of comments. We asked people for comments uh, on the films. So I just want to
3: quickly read out. Kevin so
2: uh, on Twitter, we asked what people what people thought of the film. Uh, Red says, uh, "Love the zombie animations. What a great watch." Um, and uh, our friend of the podcast, Mr. Michael Dinosaur Farm, said, really enjoyed the film, especially the dark plot twist about the villain of the story. The art style I love uh, for most of the environment and characters, especially the ghosts. But for some of them, I find it jarring to look at. What do you want? What do you want, Mike? What are you after? Good God. Uh, still uh, still glad it's in my DVD, so there you go. Um... Yeah, I did promise that I'd read things out, so I have I fulfilled my uh, contractual obliga- obligations there.
1: So what are we doing next week?
0: So, yeah, what was it going Okay, so we had um, been banding around the Yellow Submarine. Mm-hmm. And, let's uh, see... The- oh, yeah, uh, Liar's Autobiography, um, both of which films that Squiggly have discussed in the past. Uh, Lies autobiography is a more recent film, but um, yeah, I don't know. Just feel like putting them two together, see what the audience thinks.
2: So we're um, going to do the Beatles versus Monty Python, essentially. Yes, so the animation, it. the Beatles, Monty Python—my favourite things. This is this is going to tear me up inside.
0: Well, it was it was very important from the marketing people that Lies autobiography was not perceived. To be a Monty Python film, I remember, and then they released it on DVD, and they gave it the most Monty Pythonish cover.
3: <laughs> <laughs> like okay,
0: someone changed their minds. Um, it's a film about Graham Chapman, and it's uh, that I would say could be reasonably argued uh, is an independent film. We'll have that discussion when we come to it, uh, if we well, if it gets picked. Uh, otherwise, we'll be talking about the Yellow Submarine. Incidentally, we did have uh, Chris Butler and Sam Fell who did Paranorman, um, uh, writer mm. and director, respectively, way back when it came out. We were doing the podcast already. I think it was episode six. So, my God, if the archive goes back that far, which it does, uh, maybe you want to check that out with a little bit more on Paranorman.
2: I remember going to see Paranorman at a, uh, a screener. And I was so hungover. But it was one of these well-done screeners where all the people in the press brought their kids. And so oh, I'm hungover, and all the kids have got zombie face paint on. And they're all going around going, and I'm going, because oh, I've got a headache. You know, I'm hungover. People with my brothers are looking at you going, before.
0: oh my God, they hired like actors to
2: <laughs> give it this sense of authenticity.
0: It really looks like the
2: undead. <laughs> The kids did not like the film though. They were too young. Loads of people. Oh. like You could see the people who were like, you know, BBC breakfast presenters and all that sort of stuff. Uh, they'd all brought like four year olds, five year olds with them. And it didn't go down well.
1: <laughs> that happened when I went to see the box trolls on one of those like family and friends press screening thingy mobobs. And yeah, loads of kids left at that as well. Yeah. I remember being disgusted at the child for leaving. I'm like, fucking grow a pair. Eh? you're ten it's fine I was like what are you even scared of nothing's happened (laughs)
0: kids today
1: this is another pre like no accounting for glimpse into our child rearing like you will stay there and you will be scared
2: (laughs) (laughs) um yeah I got another comment here um, from Simon side tweets too uh, I remember watching the teaser trailer for this one on a loop when it came out perfect mix of music and visuals so cool so that's another great comment uh, don't forget you can get in touch with uh, Squiggly on uh, at Squiggly on Twitter uh, you can get in touch with us I'm Mr. underscore S underscore Henderson Ben what are you
0: I'm at Bedell Mitchell Laura Beth I,
1: I forget just google me
2: at Cowley, I think you
0: can't do everything for your kids yeah.
1: this is amazing <laughs>
0: The great little coder.
1: This is the uh, this is something we didn't talk about at all. But how much Leica puts the making of into all of their their uh, advertising?
2: It's become something of their signature, hasn't it? Mm. Good work.
0: Thanks, guys. Bye bye.
3: Bye bye.
2: Thank you very much. (laughs) Brains.